You're listening to the My Care Champion Cast. I'm your host, Lucicia Matero of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. Each month, we invite industry experts and thought leaders to discuss relevant healthcare issues. Join us as we explore key topics that affect Michigan hospitals, health systems, and the health of our communities. Hello, and welcome to the show. Today, we'll be discussing a very important topic that has been brought to the forefront as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, and that is health equity. I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Dr. Renee Kennedy, who is CEO at MPHI, which for those who don't know, is a Michigan-based and nationally engaged nonprofit public health institute. MPHI is dedicated to advancing population health through public health innovation and collaboration. And Dr. Kennedy has been recognized as a national thought leader in the areas of health inequities and disparities, cultural competence, and social justice. So Dr. Kennedy, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. Thank you, Lucy. Thrilled to be here. Absolutely. And can you take uh, a few minutes just to give us a little more background on the work you do at MPHI, both in your role and as an organization? Sure. Um, You know, MPHI is really a unique entity. We were created by our legislature as a governmental academic partnership. And so our board has the state health department, MDHHS, and it has representatives from Wayne State, Michigan State, University of Michigan, and then lots of community partners. So it's this really creative, um, authentic partnership to be a tool and a resource, a resource to help advance the health and well-being of um, particularly Michiganders. But as we do national work, that draws in um, a great amount of information and resources into our own state. So I have the honor of leading that organization, but also as a medical sociologist and 30-year public health professional, it also provides a space for me to continue to use my own subject matter expertise in those areas that you listed. So it's been eight years now, and it's been a phenomenal ride for me. Wonderful, wonderful. And you're certainly an expert on this topic, and I know firsthand a very influential speaker on health equity. So before we dive into the specifics of health equity, I think it's valuable for you to take some time to describe what exactly health inequity is. Do you mind doing that? No, I I so appreciate the question because, you know, sometimes we're at the space of, you know, it's fair and just health, it's mom and apple pie, it's those types of things. But the barrier to getting to health equity are the many inequities that exist. And there are lots of ways you can describe and define these things. But I have always used um, the seminal work of a researcher named Margaret Whitehead. And uh, she defines health inequities as differences in population health uh, and mortality rates. Uh, But she says that these differences are systemic, they are patterned, they are unfair, they are unjust, and they are actionable. And I love that definition, one, because it sort of calls us to the carpet. Like there's, this is actionable. There is something we can do about this. People will say, well, we can't fix poverty. We can't fix racism. Oh, yes, we can. Um, and so she invites knowledge to the table with systemic and patterned um, lenses, but also she invites values to the table by inviting us to say, this is unfair. 
And this is unjust that some people would have greater resources to be healthier than others. And so um, it's that tension on what is the underlying reason why so many people in the United States are not healthy and are not their best self. Right. And we know that health outcomes aren't just based on your physical makeup or genetics. It's it's heavily influenced by socioeconomic factors. Um, do you mind walking through? I think it's helpful to just explain some of the social determinants of health. Sure. Um, really, social determinants of health, I love the definition that the World Health Organization uses. And they say um, social determinants of health are where we live, work, play, and age. Some people have added to that, where we live, work, play, pray, age. It is the context of our lives. And um, anything and all of those things can impact um, our ability to be well and to be healthy. Right. And I've heard you describe health equity specifically as head and heart work. So can you elaborate on that? Yeah. You know, I, uh, I grew up in a military family. My brother is a West Point graduate. So uh, patriotism was sort of uh, socialized into my upbringing. Uh, And I often think about why are we at this place that we are as a nation? Why haven't we resolved all these issues? And if you think about it, in the United States, we changed laws, but we didn't necessarily change hearts. We flipped the switch and said, these people that we've taught you to hate each other for generations, boom, now you should like each other. Uh, We did not do the hard work. And it is that um, sort of the um, want to versus the have to. Mm -hmm. Right now, a lot of people are like, oh, we have to do diversity training. We have to. How can we get to a place where we want to? Mm -hmm. Because relationships are important. I would submit that we don't get anything done outside of relationships. And racism, classism, oppression, discrimination, those things damage relationships. And so this is not only about what we know, but it's also about what we feel and what do we believe um, as a people in this shared space of this country. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's important to remember that everyone benefits from health equity, not just the underserved and uh, vulnerable communities. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Uh, Heather McGee has this book out called The Sum of Us All. And we sometimes have this zero gain mindset that if I'm doing better, then you have to do worse. Mm -hmm. Or if you're doing better, then I have to do worse. And absolutely not. We can all do better together. Right. Absolutely. Can you take some time? I've heard you speak about this, that, that there's a difference between health disparities and versus health inequities. I think those terms often are used interchangeably, but there is a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, disparities um, are really the outcomes of inequities. So disparities are measurable they're observable. We see them across different populations, different age groups, different genders. Um, and they tend to be, when we talk about disparities, we, t- we tend to think about them as disproportionate. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Blacks make up about 14% of the population in Michigan. We would expect them to make up about 14% 
of the cases in most measures of morbidity and mortality, mm -hmm. whether it's COVID, whether it's infant mortality, whether it's heart disease. Uh, but we see in most of those metrics of um, illness and disease that Blacks, Brown, um, BIPOC people, Black, mm -hmm. Indigenous, people of color, mm -hmm. tend to represent two to three times more in the uh, demographics and the cases, I mean, the cases of disease. And so that's what a disparity is. And we spent a lot of time just describing those. Right. Here's another disparity. Here's, But really now we're pushing to the why mm -hmm. behind that. And really, as I said with Margaret Whitehead's definition, equity brings challenges us to think about what is fair and what is just. So we might be able to say that um, black babies from lower socioeconomic status die at higher rates than white babies from wealthier socioeconomic statuses. But the equity question is, should that be? Should black babies die at higher rates? Right. Should black mothers die at higher rates? So equity pushes us to think about what are those causes and what are we going to do to eradicate them? Right. I think those are really impactful examples. And we know that the COVID-19 pandemic has really brought to the forefront the health inequities that exist. And as we're talking about these issues and the terminology, could you explain why our dialogue matters um, and what kind of difference it can make um, specifically in the healthcare setting? Well, you know, it's interesting. In, in this country, we've been taught that you know, there are some topics that it's rude to discuss, right? You don't discuss salaries and income and religion and all of these things that we've sort of put into this, you know, sort of parking lot of polite people don't go there. And in many ways, racism has been put in that space. Well, the actions of um, activities in our nation of the last two years uh, with the death of George Floyd, the many, many uh, protests and social justice um, actions and, and even uprisings, right? The mm -hmm. anger's been that big, um, have really, and, on, and of course, COVID and how we saw different populations experiencing that disease very differently. Right. Um, we've started saying, no, we actually do have to have a meaningful discussion about this. Um, but people are uncomfortable with it. And in our work um, at MPHI, we talk about dialogue, facilitated dialogue as a methodology for action. So whereas like a conversation, it's just sort of casual. Hey, Lucy, how are you doing? I don't really have any objectives for the conversation. It's undirected, sort of explorative. With dialogue, we are really directing the exploration. And we want to do that vigorously. We think, as I said, passions and, and emotions and values are important. Um, in conversation, we try to marginalize difference. As soon as we figure out, oh, we disagree, then we, well, let's all talk about it. Dialogue is not intimidated by that. It welcomes difference. You know, we're not trying to get to a consensus. We're trying to get to a collective value where I understand your perspective and you understand my perspective. So we're not necessarily sort of um, highlighting these competing factions. You see this on the news all the time. In dialogue, we're trying to highlight commonality. Right. Where are the shared values? And instead of trying to get to a place of kind of this is the best solution, right? That's a conversation. That's even a debate. 
we're trying to say in dialogue, particularly across health inequities and injustice, what are the multiple solutions? Like we can, we can set the table broadly and many of our ideas. And then lastly, I would just say that most times conversations and certainly debate are focused on um, persuading. Let me convince you. Dialogue is really emphasizing listening. You know, we sometimes say, uh, and I can't remember whose quote this is, but seek to understand and not necessarily just be understood. Uh, because so many times we're not really listening to each other. We're trying to figure out what's our rebuttal going to be. And as soon as Lucy's done saying this, I don't care what her point was, I'm going to say this. Right. Um, but I, I absolutely believe it because I've seen it, that effective dialogue that brings head and heart to the table and to the exchange gets us at a place where action can begin to occur. Right. And I think there's sometimes fear about having the conversation. People are afraid to feel uncomfortable, but we have to get past that discomfort to really create change. Would you agree? Absolutely. It's really interesting because even when we were, when we are trying to train facilitators on how to do workshops and how to help increase the capacity to do this, even after a thorough training, sometimes the people in these train, the trainers will say, I feel like I'm not ready because um, I just don't have the answers. Like if I get a tough question, I don't know what to say. Um, and we always say, then that means you're ready because we don't want you to bring the answers to the table. We want you to bring the questions to the table. This is about a mutual exchange of information. And quite honestly, in dialogue, we embrace what is not known as opposed to embracing what is known. Because mm -hmm. certainly with COVID, right, there was a ton that we didn't know. Um, how do we walk that journey together, learning together? Um, the way you might experience race um, as a white woman and certainly younger than I in this nation is very different than the way I experience race right. as a middle-aged uh, Black woman. And so we want to be able to mutually share that information, share that lived experience, embrace what we both of us don't know mm -hmm. so that we can discover new solutions together. Absolutely. And empower each other um, to learn Absolutely. about each other. So beyond talking the talk, uh, how do we get out of our own way when it comes to action and uh, unconscious biases that exist? Yeah. Um, great, great question because we are our own uh, worst enemy sometimes. And, you know, I just say to people, this is an uncomfortable conversation. And how do you want to increase your comfort with the discomfort of having an important conversation? Right. I used to say, I do this work because I don't want my sons to have to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, my sons are all solidly adults now. Mm -hmm. So now I do the work so my grandchildren don't have to do it. And it's tough. Right. We're still in a place in, in this society, and I would dare say in this state, where we are going to regularly be faced with the choice. Do I engage? Do I not engage? I mean, I had a conversation um, in a bank with a, an older uh, 
white woman who was the the teller who was assisting me. Mm-hmm. And she was just asking, I mean, gave my IDs and she just is asking, well, you know, all the security questions. What's your mother's maiden name? What's the name of the first car that you drove? Mm-hmm. And she kept asking me the question, what's your last four of your social number? I said, is my driver's license not sufficient? Well, we're supposed to always ask these questions. I'm like, hmm, never had them. So I'm like, let me try to be nice. Let me try to make sure. Um, and so finally we get to the place where she finally gives me my money. Mm-hmm. And then she says, I just love the way you girls wear your hair that way. First of all, I'm not a girl. I just had a milestone birthday. And second of all, what are we talking about here? And to the extent that she then asked me, could she touch my hair? What am I going to do with this extremely uncomfortable situation? Right. Am I going to respond in a certain way where then she's going to say, here we go, mm-hmm. angry black women, black people are so sensitive. Uh, am I going to try to educate this woman in this space? You know, I'm not in a place to do this right now because I'm mad and I'm not going to do it constructively. Right. So I'm going to try to de-escalate this. I'm going to use this conversation to fuel my passion and the evidence, my personal evidence that this work needs to continue. These dialogues, these conversations have to continue. And so get out of your own way. Be open. Be open, you know, Mm -hmm. be open to the fact that this conversation does have to continue. It is not always a a comfortable conversation. But I I also like to say that it's a little bit like trying on those jeans. (laughs) You know, the jeans fit because you, you know, you just you've had them for a month. You wash them. And now they just feel really, really tight. What is the deal with the jeans? Well, right. they're tight. But the longer you wear them, by the end of the day, they're going to be completely comfortable. And these conversations, the more you have them, the more comfortable they are, the more skilled you become at thinking about yourself and what are your triggers. Mm-hmm. You know how to deal with those so that you are not the roadblock to the dialogue, to the discussion. Um, and we build relationships that ultimately can deconstruct racism together. Right. I appreciate the example. I think that it's so critical to share, you know, stories of day-to-day life, how, how unconscious biases can affect people. It's, it's personal and it, it is hard to navigate. And I'm curious, how do you, do you have any talking points or a, a way that you could start the dialogue around health equity or how can you initiate conversations? If you do have a question, how can you do that respectfully and, um, in a way that isn't going to, I guess, make the other person uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And and great point, Lucy. And let me just underscore that what we've been chatting about are really sort of the personal, interpersonal mm-hmm. um, strategies for for dealing with um, inequities and oppression. We also know that there are sort of systemic institutional practices that just stay in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, they were created by, I would submit, well-meaning people sometimes that just didn't think about the negative impact it would have on groups of people. So that's another whole level of strategies and change that mm-hmm. I just want to put out there that um, this will improve when we do our own personal and interpersonal work, but then we've got to translate that to how do we change the systems in which we work Mm -hmm. and the context in which people live their lives. And so I tend to be um, very authentic and very transparent. Um, I guess if I wasn't so caught off guard in the bank, I could have said to 
the uh, the teller. This might this probably me, mm-hmm. but this feels like a really awkward conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really not customary for people to ask to touch someone's hair. Has anyone ever asked you to touch your hair? Right. And and so to be, I tend to be a little self-effacing mm-hmm. um, to then increase the comfort to say, well, talk to me about what do you think was motivating that? Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things that I always try to tell people to keep in mind, uh, and it's a little bit like the the exchange we were talking about, the difference between conversation and dialogue and debate. Um, I have this card called the both and card because we are socialized in, in this society to see things in either or. Mm-hmm. Either it's this or it's that. Well, nine times out of 10, it's both. Right. And so someone can make their point and instead of saying, but I say, and here's my experience. Mm-hmm. So because typically, you know, when you say, but it negates everything that preceded the but. I'm sorry if I offended you, but right. no, are you really sorry? Um, Cause now you're going to make some excuse. And so that framework of both and, um, and the other is intent versus impact. And we oftentimes want to justify actions. If we didn't mean to be racist, then we want that to be a pass. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I didn't mean to offend you, then you shouldn't be offended. No, no, no. You didn't mean to offend me, but you did. And so the consequence, the responsibility is on you. I mean, it's as simple as if I walk by someone and step on their toe, I can't say, I didn't mean to step on your toe (laughs) and assume their toe is that immediately, magically, their toe is not going to hurt anymore. Mm -hmm. I need to take responsibility for that impact that my actions had. Let me get you a piece of ice. Let me at the very least apologize that I harmed you, not apologize if I harmed you. Right. right? If should really never be an apology. Um, so intent versus impact, both and. Um, and I really want to encourage people as they try to engage in this conversation, we tend to try to push to fairness and we tend to define fairness as sameness. Mm-hmm. Even clinicians will say, well, I treat all my patients the same. Well, are all your patients the same? Maybe you should be treating them the way they need to be treated in the moment, not because I did this for Sue, then I'm going to do this for you. Um, But again, there are these sort of roadblock mindsets, worldviews almost, Mm -hmm. that this is the way we see the world. Everybody's got to be treated the same. I'm not going to see color. Well, if you're not going to see color, then you're not going to be in an authentic relationship with me because it suggests that I have a different lived experience than you. Mm -hmm. So step out there, be courageous, be the person. There are so many opportunities. Look at the news. You can't help but have an opportunity to discuss this. Right. And I think taking your ego and defensiveness out of the conversation can be really powerful. Absolutely. So before I let you go, uh, I have a two-part question and you touched on the first one a bit, but do you have any other actions that individuals, you'd recommend individuals take uh, in their own lives to build or strengthen a culture of health equity? And then the second question being, what resources would you point our listeners uh, who may be directly affected by health inequity, where would you point them um, at MPHI or otherwise? Oh, wow. Great question. 
really, um, there are opportunities to have these dialogues all around us and look for them, you know, sort of be what I would call an inequity sleuth. And um, you don't see it if you're not looking for it because again, we've been socialized to just, this is the way mm -hmm. things are. As a matter of fact, a colleague of mine used to say, a fish doesn't realize it's wet until it's out of the fishbowl. If you're just swimming around doing your thing, yep, doesn't everybody do Thanksgiving like this? And this is who we are and we go to work and that's the thing. And so begin to be intentional about that. If you're in the work setting, asking those little questions, have we thought about does this practice or this strategy um, have any negative impact? Hmm. For example, 15 minute window. If you're late after 15 minutes, you got to reschedule your appointment. Well, why are people late for 15 minutes? Mm -hmm. Does it take that into consideration? And does that kind of a blanket rule disadvantage any people and advantage other people? It may or it may not, right? right? But asking the question starts the dialogue. And that even might ask, cause someone to ask you, why are you asking that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about the things in the news and how clearly people, I mean, even the, the COVID requirement to social distance and uh, when we were all staying in our homes at the beginning of the pandemic, staying in your home was wonderful for people that had lovely homes and multiple bedrooms. But many people have small homes, two bedroom houses. And, you know, okay, now everybody's got to be here. People have to come back from college. You've got multiple generations living here. So that those types of efforts would seem very simple in execution were not as easy for some. And so I just encourage people to be, um, uh, there was the term out there that kind of tried to get weaponized, social justice warrior. Mm -hmm. um, I do wear that with a badge. Uh, but be a social justice advocate. Right. I mean, think about your own values and beliefs and what are the motivations mm -hmm. for saying we do um, hold these truths to be self-evident, you know, if you're mm -hmm. patriotic. All men are created equal. You know, racism is the belief in a hierarchy of human value. Mm -hmm. So how do we deconstruct that thing? Because it's in direct contradiction with who we say we want to be. So just step out, make a friend who's different than you mm -hmm. and begin to learn um, to embrace difference across relationships. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really valuable advice. And the second question was, what resources um, would you point our listeners to who may be directly affected by health inequity, uh, whether that's at MPHI or otherwise, uh, COVID-19 related or not? Um, are there specific resources um, that you would share? You know, there are actually tons of them. Um, I would encourage people to look at the Michigan Department of Civil Rights website. They have resources there. Those are very important. Michigan Public Health Institute. We have two centers, our um, Center for Health Equity Practice, which has a number of tools uh, on that website. And we also have a Center for Culturally Responsive Engagement that also has resources. Um, and there are lots of other resources. Um, I'm going to forget her name. I just said it earlier. Um, but there is um, a workshop that really is designed 
for white Americans mm-hmm. to think about what's the impact of race. It's called Doing Our Own Work. Melanie Morrison is her name. Look at her website and her work um, and just start the journey. Mm-hmm. We call health equity uh, a journey, not a destination. It's a process and an outcome, mm-hmm. but we won't get there if we don't all begin uh, doing our work together. Absolutely. That's right. And we'll be sure to link to all those resources in the description of the podcast. But Dr. Kennedy, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate you being on the show to break down this topic and share really um, valuable anecdotes and insights. So thank you again. Well, thank you to the Michigan Care Champions. Thanks for listening to the My Care Champion Cast. To learn more or get involved, visit mycarematters.org. That's M-I-CareMatters.org.